Hi, TYB on the run. Welcome to the Book of Romans. I am so excited. (laughs) We finally hit the Book of Romans. We're going to sit in this book. These are Bible blasts. Let me read them over you. But can I say, as I read Romans over you, notice the Greco-Roman language. Notice that I'm speaking to Romans, okay? So as I'm reading it, don't get into this culture of, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking very Christian. Don't think Christian, just for a second. Think Roman. Think what would a Roman think about what I'm about to read to you? Uh, it's being read by Phoebe. She's a female. She's directed to go and read this letter over you. Um, and let me start. Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. And in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is ever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. 
so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love and no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them. Wow. (laughs) It's not a small letter, is it? You kind of, that Bible blast was like full of everything. Now this incredible letter of Romans is just this incredible doctrinal thesis letter. Can you hear it? He's quite pertinent, he's quite strong, but he's very direct in this letter. Now let me explain what's happening. Romans was written by Paul, as we know, and you've got to really, like I said in the beginning, notice the Roman language in this letter because it is written to the Romans. Imagine, think about what the Romans are in this time. The Romans are the government. The Romans is the head city of this time. they, they They have conquered all of the cities and locations across the stretch of, of, of where Paul has been preaching. This is his headquarters. This is the headquarters of the emperor. Now, you've got to remember, it's a long way from Jerusalem. So don't think Judea, don't think agricultural, don't think Galilee, don't think, you know, Jesus' world in this letter. Think a city of Romans with great pillars and wealth and power and they are in control. So as he's writing this letter, he understands that he's not just writing this letter to the Romans, he's writing this letter to Rome. It says, to all in Rome who are loved by God. So it's going to be slightly different to the conversational letters that we have in the other text. It's going to be slightly different because he knows he's writing a letter that is very important to to Christianity under the emperor. Now, we know in this beautiful letter that if I am Roman and I begin a letter, I am not going to begin it how Paul began his letter. Let Let me read it to you again. Imagine Rome. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, can I rewrite that in your heads? Paul, a voluntary slave of Jesus, Christ Jesus, called to be a messenger and set apart for the good news of God. Now, the, all the language in that in these first statements is don't Christianize them. A slave of Christ Jesus, I have to say, That is the opener of all openers because it's so offensive for them to think that Paul, a free man who is a tent maker, so he's he's not under a master, he's a Roman citizen, so he is basically at the head of their social ladder because all Roman citizens for Rome, all Roman citizens were taken care of, they were treated well, all you had to do is just say you're a Roman citizen and, you know, you're, you're... status of life was at the highest. He says as a Roman citizen, as a free person, that he is a voluntary slave of Christ Jesus. He is putting himself in the bottom rank (laughs) for the sake of Christ. And this is how he opens his letter to the Romans. It's really quite revolutionary the way he does this. And then he says, I'm called to be a messenger. Now, when we say apostle, I know we go to apostle, and that's that's right. He's, he is saying his authority is apostle. He's saying, I'm a messenger 
for the good news of God, not the good news of your emperor coming, but the good news that my God sent Christ Jesus. And then he keeps going, this beautiful moment. We're going to unpackage this a bit later. But this, why did he write this letter? Because Paul writes letters, um, Paul writes letters in response to things like in the Corinthian church, in response to issues in the church. And you can hear in this letter that it's not just reactionary. It's not just him writing a reaction. It's very well written. It's a very beautiful letter and it's very well set out, meaning from the beginning he knew what he was going to write. That's why we call it in the TYB Bible the doctrinal letter because it's it's very well written out. It's going to give us our gospel account. It's going to give us what our salvation is. It's going to show us that we're all sinners saved by grace. It's then going to show us that we are all saved by Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice that he did on the cross. And then it's going to tell us the benefits of being saved. It's a very well-written essay. He would have got great marks for this essay. But what's happening? We know as we read this, guys, did you notice here he says, um, 110, in my prayers at all times, I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. If we're mirror reading that, it means that he's never been to Rome. This Roman citizen born in Tarsus has never been to Rome. So he's saying, I'm introducing myself to you and I've never actually been to Rome. And I and I want to explain to you why I haven't been to Rome. I genuinely have wanted to come in the last 20 years when when the church was birthed there. I wanted to come, but I but I couldn't get there. But finally I will get there. But we know that Paul does go to Rome, but he goes to Rome in chains. And he ends up being martyred and killed in Rome, which is really quite sad. But he's saying, I will get there. And why is Paul writing this letter? Because Paul's headquarters is in Antioch, way over the other side. This is at the end of his third missionary journey, guys. This is this is probably about 57, 58 AD. At the end of his third missionary journey, he has done three missionary journeys and preached the gospel all across, all up and down Judea and all around um, the top. And he's been to Ephesus and Thyatira and Derby and Lystra. He's done all of that. And now at the end of that, he's kind of sitting down and we know that um, some people say that he wrote this in Corinth when he was in Corinth for three months. He's sitting in Corinth and he's like, you know what, I feel like I'm at the end of my missionary journeys here. Where will I go? Oh, I'm going to go to Rome because then I can start my missionary journeys again and I can preach in Spain. And he says throughout this text, he says, I can't wait to go to Spain. I can't wait to preach in Spain. So he's writing to the Romans, not just to fix a divisional issue, which we're going to talk about next, not just to to introduce himself because he's never met them, but he is, and not just to present his gospel message, which he does very beautifully. But he's writing to them to say, hey, can I um, actually maybe make my headquarters where you are so that I can start to preach to the other side of these, these areas? And it's, it's quite amazing. He talks about the gospel. He talks about that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And he does this statement first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is very controversial. And I know that, you know, you're going to read commentaries about this. That is, it's first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I think what Paul is doing here, because in the beginning he summarizes his text, 1, 1 to 1, 6 is a summary of what he is, is, is about to present. It's a summary of, of um, his thesis paper. It's like the introduction to an essay. And in the introduction, not only does he offend you by saying that he's a voluntary slave, but he also says this. He says, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and as to his spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God. 
Can you feel that in this opening statement, he's saying this, and I know he's saying it very wordy, it's quite wordy, but he's saying this, he's saying my gospel message is not birthed from just, uh, like we say, the New Testament. (laughs) Somehow we became Pentecostal snobs that the New Testament is our gospel message. And if you want to know the gospel message, you go to the gospels. But the gospel message didn't start in the gospels. This is what Paul's saying here. He's saying the gospel of Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost, the gospel that he would come and take away the sin of the world, the gospel that he would come and set you free, the gospel that he would come to give you eternal life did not start in in the gospels, in the New Testament. It was fulfilled in the New Testament. It was promised back in Genesis. And what he's saying here, guys, is this. He's saying, This gospel that I'm about to preach to you has foundation. This gospel that I'm about to preach to you isn't this just new way of thinking. This gospel that I'm about to preach to you has the Holy Scriptures backing. Everything in the prophets, everything in the Holy Scriptures, everything in the Old Testament preaches towards the coming of Jesus. And as Pentecostal snobs, I have to say, sometimes we go, oh, you know, I'm a New Testament Christian. No, you're. it's fulfilled in the New Testament, but you've got to read the promises of the Old Testament to understand what was promised. And this is what he's saying. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding two things, that, that the Christ would be a descendant of David and that the Christ Messiah would be the Son of God. And he parallels them and he says, you know what? Then he puts this colon and he says, fulfilled basically through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is presenting to the Romans the fact that the fulfillment of the Messiah has come and it's just this beautiful introduction wrapped up in one sentence, people. Oh, my gosh, this is why we wrestle with Romans for the rest of our life because all of those revelations are wrapped up in the first sentence. It's just quite incredible. Now, what is happening in this church All these things. What is the division that I spoke about earlier? Now, the division in this church is this. The Romans church was birthed in Acts. How do I know that? Because if I go back to Acts 2, it says on the day of Pentecost, um, and it does list all those people that got the preach of the century by Peter, and they all got baptized, the preach of the century by Peter, and the the salvation of 3,000 included people from Rome. Now, These are devout Jews. Why? How do I know that? Because if I'm going to travel from Rome to Jerusalem, I am devout. That takes a long time. This isn't a plane trip, people. This is walking and boats and, oh, it would have taken forever. So I know that devout Jews came to Jerusalem for the festival and got saved and then went back. And the church, the early church in Rome, history tells us, the early church in Rome was very Jewish very Jewish in their nature. They came from Judaism. They got saved. They brought the Holy Spirit and Christ's message and the gospel message back to Rome. And But it was still run by leaders of Jew, Jews, very Judaistic, Torah, separation of male and female, Gentiles probably, you know, up the back somewhere, very separated, very segregated, very Jewish in its nature. And you've got to imagine, this is 20 years later, that, that they hadn't heard from Paul. They hadn't had Paul come and preach in their church. I'm sure they've read all his letters and I'm sure they've probably heard of his letters and heard of his teaching and heard of everything that's happening on, happening in that time. But Paul hasn't come and preached his gospel to them yet. Paul hasn't come and, and, and that's why Paul's so passionate to get there, to preach the gospel of salvation. So he does it kind of in this letter. Now what's happened? 
This church in Acts 2 got birthed, went back, very Judaistic church. But in, in 49 AD, Claudius decided that he was sick of the Christians debating, Jews and Gentiles, uh, sorry, Jews and Christians. He was sick of them arguing and he kicked all the Jews out. He was just sick of, Josephus actually says he was sick of the arguments over Christos and he was just done and he kicked them out and he had the right to do that as emperor. So he just said, all you Jews, you're out. Now, what does that do for this church, this Christian church in the Roman city? They're Gentiles. They're only people in there. Now, who are Gentiles? Gentiles are anybody who isn't born a Jew, <laughs> basically. Greeks, Roman citizens, um, everybody, uh, you know, African slaves, anybody who was in that city at that time that, that weren't Jews were Gentiles. So it began to get led by the people of the city. The people of the city led it. And it was fabulous. History tells us from five to six years, it boomed. It, it, it had revival, let's say. And it grew so much that by 55 AD, when Claudius died and the new emperor came in and said, look, I'm getting rid of all the edicts of Claudius, which is ha- what happened when the emperor died, they all came back. They all came back. All the Jews came back and it's, were not happy with the way the church was running because it was run by Gentiles. And who's in leadership at that point? Is it the old le- leaders that were there for 19 years before these young upstarts came in or is it the ones that have made the church grow? So we've kind of got this old, new generational thing happening. We've got this Jew-Gentile generational. Do we leave? Because the females were probably pretty much okay to be in the church while the Gentiles were running it. Now do we segregate again? Now, now you know, and there's this division. There's this hatred. There's this hierarchy in the church that the Gentiles are right and there's hierarchy in the church that, no, the Jews are right and they should be the leadership. And Paul jumps in in this letter and says, let me have a chat to you both. And he equalizes them. Did you hear when I read it? He kind of smashes the Gentiles in the first chapter. Now, I know the chapters weren't there when Phoebe was reading it. But from the beginning, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. You imagine Phoebe having to read this. I mean, I struggled to read it. But imagine Phoebe having to read it. The Gentiles know that he's talking about them. The Gentiles know that the invisible qualities, they, they rejected the creation calling to them. They, they, they glorified their minds. They were futile in their thinking. This is the sin nature. They, um, they claimed to be wise, but they became fools. This is very Greco-Roman language, guys. The thinking, the futile minds, the, they exchanged sexual impurity. When you study Rome at this time, oh my gosh, the immorality of sexual impurity in this city was horrendous. So he's talking about the degrading of their bodies and he's talking about the Gentiles. Now you can imagine the Jews at this point being quite proud, going, yes, I knew that Paul, the apostle to, to, he may be an apostle to the Gentiles, but you know what? He's Jewish and he grew up Jewish and he knows that we are supposed to be the ones to lead this church. And he, he really goes after these Gentiles in the beginning and he talks about them abandoning natural um, sexual relations. He talks about greed. And, and I have to say that when I go through this list, I feel okay, you know, evil, but this list is, is quite intense because it talks about disobeying your parents. And then it talks about he's saying no one is, is, is out of this. The wickedness and the strife and the deceit, no one's out of this, even just disobeying your parents, gossiping, slandering. There is nobody who is sinless is what he's saying. Nobody would have read this list just like we do and go, oh, yeah, no, I'm good. No, you would have read this list and realized that you are a sinner that needs salvation. 
And this is the point of this beginning. He's not pouring condemnation on people for condemnation's sake. He's pouring this this, um, conviction on them to say that even though you think you're good, even though you Gentiles have um, birthed this church, it looks amazing, it's doing really well, know that you are a sinner saved by grace alone. And he's going to introduce this. So this is only chapter one, guys. I'm so excited to jump into chapter two with you. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to balance out Paul, the great equalizer, even though he's focusing on the Gentiles right now, wait for chapter two, because he swaps and he starts focusing on the Jews. See you there.